This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to speak to you this morning on something I've titled, I am to be the story of God's plan. I'm to be the story of God's plan. I want to start off by reading um, a little Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, and I'm going to read the second half of that verse. And it says, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Christianity should be the most exciting opportunity that you have to live life. Because what God wants to do is he wants to introduce you to discovery and adventure. Your life as a Christian should never be boring. It's about discovery and adventure. The thing about our Christian life is everything that we normally do as human beings is in large part defined by the natural and the world that we live in. It's the realities that we engage on an everyday basis. And what God's saying to us is this, I want to partner with you and I want to be a part of your life. And as being a part of your life, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you something to something called discovery. Discovery is seeing, finding, or unearthing something that previously wasn't available to you. Discovery in God is all about discovery discovering opportunities about what your future should look like in him. Discovery in God is always about identifying new perspectives and new opportunities. It's about expansion. You cannot interact and you cannot be engaged with God and think that your life is going to stay the same. It's not. It's going to enlarge. It's going to expand because that's who he is. God is all in all. And every time he comes into your life, into your circumstances, into any situation in your life, he's going to bring that expansion with him. And because of that, the, the, the parameters of my life and where I feel comfortable are going to shift. Look out for shift. Look out for movement. Look out for expansion. Because when God comes into your life, it never stays the same. Not only is it going to enlarge, but it's going to enlarge according to his movement and his direction. It's all about discovery. It's not only about discovery, but it's also about adventure. When you have something new, when he imparts something new to you that you never had before, the invitation that he extends to you is take that and use it in your life. The invitation is take it and do something with it. And you may have never been there before. You may have never experienced it before. You may not know anything about it. But the invitation is if you will take what I give you and you will operate with it, if you will let it direct you, and if you have the courage enough to be able to step out in confidence in what I've invited you to do, your life will change. Our life as Christian is all about discovery and adventure. Yeah. Discovery and adventure. You should never be the same as a Christian. But it's not just about discovery and adventure. He puts a little premise in there which is really important. And so we can get excited about discovery, and we should. We can get excited about this, uh, adventure, and we should. But he prefixes everything by saying, those people who know their God. What you know is fundamental to God because it becomes the foundation of which you're going to discover things and it can become the foundation of which you have the confidence to be able to engage with God and move forward in your life. Knowing God is so important, so important to everything. So I want to explore a little bit more, not only about God, but I also want to explore and begin to have a look at more about the word knowing Knowing, because it doesn't just say have a fleeting idea about God, get some information about, about God, you know, get some facts and data about God. It speaks about knowing God. Amen. 
There is, a, there is an intimacy that goes with that which transcends the superficial. Knowing needs to sustain us when you're uncomfortable because it's going beyond your boundary. That's what's going to keep you in that place. So knowing becomes really important. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says, For I know the plans... In the King James Version, it says thoughts. So you can say, I know the plans or the thoughts that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. There is so much in that verse. One thing that I want you to know is this. God wants to be a part of your life. And when God is a part of your life, part of what he's going to bring in is who he is. The all in all, the all sufficient one, the one who is completely self-contained. And when he arrives, what he's going to bring with him is he's going to bring with him prosperity. Prosperity is designed to take you away from where you are and to introduce you to expansive living. That's what prosperity is about. No matter where you are, if you experience prosperity, it's over and, ab and abundantly above where you currently stand. He wants to introduce you to prosperity because when you feel that you're equipped, when you feel that you have more than abundant supply, it creates a hope and a future for you. Part of the challenge that we have right at the moment is that there's so many people who are not living in prosperity, but who are living in deficit. They're living in need. And I'm not just talking financial. I'm talking across the board. We have people who are living in a space where they, their thinking is caught up in fear. I have need. I'm stuck in need. What I need is I need faith. What I need is I need hope. What I need is I need to know that there's going to be a good future. There are people who are stuck in depression. What I need is I need joy. It's not just always about finances and things. It's about God sitting saying, I want to meet you in every part of your life. I want to touch every aspect of your life. And when you come into a relationship with me, no matter what it is, when you touch it and you're exposed and you, you see my provision, abundant provision for everything that you need, you're going to engage prosperity. Prosperity isn't going to leave you where you are, but it's going to give you a hope and it's going to give you a future. It's going to take you somewhere. Amen. It's going to take you somewhere. So Colton loves his football. And um, a couple of weeks ago, he had a game. And he was, he was playing his game and they ran this route. And he ran and they passed the ball to him. And it was high. And so he had to jump to get the ball. And so he was up in the air. And when he was up in the air, somebody on the other team, a defender, came and tackled him right in the air. And so it was a hard tackle. And it was like, you know, everything happened and everything fell down. And it was a bit of a rough one. And I thought about that. And it's always important for me to bring like some kind of uh, analogy that I think can, you can maybe relate to. God says, I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you. I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you. To prosper you. To give you a hope. To give you a future. I spoke to Colton after he had run that route and I said, what happened? And he said, you know what, we had this guy on the team and the problem with it was he didn't know what the play was. He didn't run the play the way it should have been run. And if he had run the play the way it should have been run, he was supposed to be the decoy which would have taken that defender in a different direction, which means when he caught the ball, he would have got the ball, he would have been able to run the ball, and the play would have been successful. The challenge with it was the kid lent to his own understanding. 
And as a result of that, he knew how to run. He knew how to play the game. He just didn't know the play. He didn't know the plan. And because he didn't know the plan, things didn't work out. All too often, what happens is God knows the plan. God knows the thought. But the thing is, we want to lean to our own understanding. We want to go and do what we want to do. And what God's saying is, I have prosperity for you. I have hope for you. I have a future for you. But you're going to find it in the plan. You're going to find it in my thoughts. Don't run off and go and do something else. Anytime you lean to your own understanding and you go in a different direction, I'm moving away from his provision. I'm moving away from his prosperity. I'm moving away from hope and a future. Don't lean to your own understanding. We think about stuff like that, and what I've come to realize is we don't always realize, in a conceptual context, we understand that, and we sit and say that's right. But sometimes in the nitty-gritty of life, in dealing with when you're up at the coalface and the dust and the dirt and everything's flying, we don't always think about it. But your reality is part of your natural world, and your reality is there, and the invitation it extends is to your understanding. I don't know what you're tackling today and I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what's part of your world and I don't know what your reality looks like. But I can promise you something, your reality has a voice. And your voice is speaking to your understanding. What it's looking for is it's looking for you to lean to your own understanding and to deal with your circumstances and situations from your understanding as opposed to finding the plan. The prosperity is in the plan. The prosperity is in the thought. If we lean to our own understanding and we go outside of that, we end up in trouble because we don't get what God's provision is for us. We don't always think about what it really means for us. But the problem with it is, sometimes the temptation is to always go, is to go our way, lean to our understanding and allow that to define who we are, to define a mindset for us, to define my sense of knowing. It's so important. It's, I'm, I'm gonna give you some practical tools today about how to handle stuff. It's really important to be aware of the fact that your understanding is not gonna lead you necessarily to prosperity. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What is he saying? Go to him to find the plan. Go and find his thoughts. If I find his thoughts on something, it opens up opportunity for me. So when I went to school, I did fine. School wasn't bad. I actually enjoyed school. But I wasn't one of those students that was an Einstein. It was just kind of regular. The thing about it is, I discovered this like a little while ago, and I thought about this, and I think there was something insidious about that which I never realized. But because I was just like normal, like everybody else, in some ways, I, it, it birthed on me, in me, a, a, a knowing that I was just average. Average. You know what the problem is with an average mindset? The problem with average knowing is that you never set the bar in your life very high. Because it's okay to be average. That's who I am. There are people who grow up in all kinds of situations. It's funny because I look at our kids and I've worked really hard to try and manage the way that I engage with, with each of them to make sure that they, they all feel as though, and, well, they know that they loved and validated in who they are. 
But the thing is, it's very easy to grow up in a situation where you look at it and you sit and say, well, I'm not the favorite kid. I'm not the important one. I'm not the one who gets the attention and the affirmation. And it introduces to us a sense of knowing that I'm not worth the other kids. I'm not of the same value. The problem with it is when I buy into a sense of knowing of something like that, it doesn't only come in and begin to define who I am, but it begins to define the course of my life and what it looks like. So I end up going out and for, forever I'm having a look at people to fill that need on the inside of me. I can't take criticism because what ends up happening is I really don't feel worthy. I don't feel a sense of value. So when you criticize something like that, even if it's meant in the best way, I can't take it. Why? Because I'm already very fractured in who I am. What ends up happening is I go out there, I'm, I'm continually doing things to be validated. People who are in that kind of situation settle for mediocrity or a really bad partner. Why? Well, just because they loved me and they showed me a little bit of attention. When you value who you are, when you understand who God has created you to be, when you understand the, the implicitly how, how valuable you are in his eyes, you'll raise the bar. And it's like, no, I'm not going for any old sucker. Let me tell you something. Forget it. You, you bet, I want to see your credentials, buddy. It goes down to what do we validate? How do we, how do, what do we, what do we know? Can I touch on something right now? It's a little bit of a side point, but I'll, uh, it'll make a point. People think being a parent is the ability be, to be able to have a child. That's not the qualifier. The qualifier is, are you mature enough and equipped to handle the raising of that young life? We have, I saw this thing the other day and I was baffled by it. Ignorant parents who don't understand what their responsibility is and goes to like a little four-year-old or five-year-old and is sitting interrogating the child about whether they want to be a boy or a girl. And it's like, well, what, what do you want to be? The thing is, when you, this is what goes with, with parenting. They say that the most foundational years in a child's life are up to the age seven. It's where they're most impressionable. Your responsibility as a parent is to impart to them truth. Amen. And the more rounded and established you are in truth, the more grounded your children are going to be. None of us are perfect. And so in years to come, I'll see all my flaws as a father. <laughs> but the point is, you, God's there to, to sustain any shortcomings that you have. The point is, that's my responsibility. I can't make a demand on something. I can't make a demand on a child and sit and say, tell me what you know. That's not, my, that's not the child's responsibility. My responsibility as a parent is to have a look at some things which are self-evident truths. God gave you chromosomes and the body of a boy or a girl. My responsibility is to understand what it means to step into that as an identity and to affirm that on the inside of you. My responsibility as a parent is to get you grounded, situated in a sense of knowing I am a man, I am a woman. And so I can walk into my future with confidence because I know who I am. When you don't know who you are, you're wobbly. 
It's a natural example, but it's the same thing that happens in the Spirit. It's the same thing that happens with God. God always wants to get us to a place of knowing. When I know who God is, I can step into my future with confidence because I know what the plan is. I know what His thoughts are. And as a result of that, I'm looking for His provision. I'm looking for prosperity in that place. Why? Because in that space is where I find His provision and it gives me a hope and a future. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. I touched on it last week. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I've heard this thing preached from so many people and they, the, the emphasis and the waiting is wrong. They put as the subject truth. The subject of the sentence is not truth. The subject of the sentence is knowing it's what you know that changes you. What he does is he gives a validation. He's like, and here's a big hint. What you know is going to define who you are. Make sure it's truth. The subject of the sentence is knowing. It's all about defining who I am and what I'm about. It's about a sense of knowing. Knowing. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I chat on that so often because you know what? It's foundationally about who you're supposed to be. The maker, when he made us, that's what he said. Let us make man in our image. So the thing is we're in a situation where we're living life and we're exposed to so much stuff in our environment, in the natural, in our reality. And we're exposed to all of this stuff with regularity. And the thing about it is, what he's saying is, I've equipped you to be able to give definition to who you are. And because image is so important to God, what he does is he gave us something that was birthed out of image called image and nation. Imagination. Imagination. The definition of imagination is relating to an image and um, getting a picture of self. Getting a picture of self. Relating to an image, getting a picture of self. The point is, where is your image coming from? You are designed... To get an image from somewhere. And if I'm getting my image from my reality, if I'm getting my image from my challenge, if I'm getting my image from my circumstances and my situations, what ends up happening is the image that comes in goes into something called my image. It's a process. The image, a nation. It's processing image in that space. And in that image, I'm relating to the image and what I see. And as a result, it's giving definition to the picture of who I am. And so when I go to my world and I allow my world to fill my imagination, what I'm doing is I'm spending my time meditating on an image that's not of him. I want to know why I'm fearful. What's the image that you're looking at? You want to know why you're afraid? What's the image that you're looking at? I can tell you now that if you change the image, what will end up happening is it'll change what you know. That's how we were set. That's how God intended for us to live from who he was. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Satan said, I don't, uh, Satan. Adam said, I'm going to move away from your image and I'm going to craft my own image. 
The thing about it is God wants to get back into your life. He wants to get back into who you know. He says, take the image of me. Because when you take the image of me and you put it into your imagination, what ends up happening is I get into relationship. I'm relating to the image that I see. And I have a picture of who I am in that context. And then I began to understand, I'm not a worm of the dust. Jesus came to do some fabulous stuff for me. And I begin to shift and I begin to change. And what ends up happening is as I begin to move out of that space, my life begins to shift and my life begins to change. I live in an expectation, not that bad things are going to happen and my world is coming to an end and I do be anxious and I need to be, be depressed and I need to get on antidepressants. I move to a place where I start to change the fundamentals of my life. And when he moves into that space, I begin to understand what it is to walk out of, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror in him. I live from a totally different place. And my sense of knowing establishes on the inside of me what my expectation of my future is. That's the adventure in him. And adventure is all about having the courage to step beyond your reality and to find a future beyond what defines your realm right now. We are called to discovery. We're called to adventure. We're called to know who he is because in knowing who he is, we discover the plan. We discover his thoughts. And when I discover his thoughts, it begins to define who I am. The definition of who you are is so important in life. And I can tell you this, as you move forward in life and as you encounter circumstances and situations, the reality of your life is always going to interrogate your identity. Why? Because God lives on the inside of us. And so the way that he takes the things of who he is and introduces them into the world is he works from the inside out. So what does he do? He begins to spend time with us, our imagination. And he begins to show us the plan, to invite us into truth. He shows us and speaks to us. And as I take the things of him and I allow to give definition to who I am, it changes who I am and I live from that place and it moves from where I am inside out into my world. That's why your reality is going to challenge your identity. Because if it can get your identity to a place where it wobbles, what will end up happening is you'll let go of God and you'll allow that to come into your space. You'll allow that to come into your space. What ends up happening is I shift. People who allow their reality to give definition to themselves end up as what they term in the world a victim of circumstance. What they're saying is, my environment overpowered me. I couldn't overcome. I am a victim of circumstance. But God never intended for you to be a victim of circumstance. He was looking for you to be victorious in Christ. There's a very big difference in it. I'm not saying for a moment that you don't have challenges, and I'm not for a moment saying that you won't be successful in overcoming all of them. You don't hear that in church. I'll tell you why. Because you're on a growth journey. And I can tell you here that you're going to be successful in all things. I'm not saying God's plan isn't that you are. God's plan is. But if I look at my own life, I've had to grow in some stuff. That's just the truth of it. 
And in growing in the truth of those things, I walk into a place where I recognize that he has a plan and a purpose right here. And I'm trying to discover what that is. And as I begin to walk it out, what I'm discovering is, you know what? I used to be at the mercy and I used to be a victim of circumstance. And I used to allow my environment and everything happening around me to flood in and to change all of those things. But it's not happening the way that it used to. I'm putting my foot down in a lot of things. And there's some places where, you know what? I'm not as successful as I used to, as as I want to be. But it doesn't matter because I know what the plan is. I know what the thoughts are. And I'm on my way there. Why? Because I know that in that space is where I'm going to discover his provision, where I'm going to discover all that he has for me. And I can live from that abundance. I can live from his prosperity and have a hope and a future. Sometimes what ends up happening is we encounter a reality. And the reality, the first thing is it does, is it says, who are you? Who are you? What it's really asking is, what do you know? What do you have to influence the situation? Or can we just flood in? The challenge is, if we're not established in knowing, if we don't know the plan, if we don't know his thoughts, what ends up happening is, I'm in a space where I don't know. Where I don't know is a vulnerable space. It's, it's, it's a hard space to be, because the problem with it is, it opens the door to something called doubt. Why? Because I didn't know what his plan was. I didn't know what the thoughts were. So I'm in this environment thinking, it doesn't feel right to me. I'm sure this isn't God's plan. I know that his intentions, I know it's not anything that conforms to his character. I'm recognizing there's an incongruence there, but there's no sense of knowing on the inside of me that gives me the power and authority to push back against my reality. So what ends up happening is I end up in a space of doubt. You know what doubt is? Doubt is a wobbly foundation. Doubt is a place where it's like, I'm I'm not established in security. I, I don't have confidence. I'm insecure in what's happening right now. My foundation is not established. It's wobbly. And I'm susceptible and open to things. And God's sitting saying, I can't work if you're not established in who you are. The reason that he wants us established in him is because it introduces an identity. That's based on authority. I know who I am in Christ. It's not about me. It's about him. But I know who I am. And because I know who I am, I understand the power that comes with who he is and my ability to push back on things and change some stuff, to be resilient in the face of things that want to overwhelm me. I'm not succumbing to that stuff. I'm fighting the good fight of faith. James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 6 says, He who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let him not think that he is going to receive anything from God. What is it saying? Unless you know who you are, what you do is you compromise my channel to have influence. God works from the inside out. 
He lives on the inside of who you are. So what happens is he's looking for a channel through which to come out where he is and influence your world. When he gets my identity established in who he is, what ends up happening is the branch connects with the vine. And when the branch and the vine connect, what ends up happening is life flows from who he is into who I am. And speak to this mountain! It comes out of me. The problem with it is, if I'm not connected to him, I'm not connected to the vine. There's no life. So I can sit and I can say whatever I want to say. The problem with it is nothing happens. Because there's no life. What do you know? You know what you know. When you're faced with the reality of, you know, it's like I've got a flu. It's flu season. They say I've got flu. What's the first thing that comes to you? Not what you have to think about. The first thing that comes up, the first thing that comes up is what you know. I need to go and get the medicine. I know what you know. I'm not saying that ultimately you may not want to get something to help it. Anything that can help, the more the merrier. The point that I'm making is this. If you want to know what your knowing is, see the first thing that comes up. What happens often as Christians, to me, maybe it doesn't happen to you, the thing that comes up is not really what I think it should be. And it's like, okay, it's my response to the natural. And I suddenly recognize what is established in that place. But then I sit and I want to change it. And so I start saying, well, you know, I shouldn't be thinking that way. And then I start quoting stuff that's biblical. The problem with it is, this is the challenge. It's not powerful. It's scriptural, but it's not powerful. It's powerful when that truth establishes who I am. When the first thing that comes out of my mouth, when it's, when it's like, okay, you've got flu, is that by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. That's what, you, that's what your knowing is based on. What's the first thing that comes out of you? It's okay if it's not biblical. It's not ideal, but it's okay because it's a point of discovery. What are we doing as Christians to discover so we can get into an adventure? So when you discover that that sense of knowing isn't established on the plan, on his truth, it's okay, as long as you do something about it. Don't be dismissive and leave it. That's how we grow and enlarge in life. That's how we build intimacy with him. That's how we move from glory to glory. I've just discovered something on the inside of me that isn't grounded and rooted in knowing. And so I can't live from that place anymore. Not if I want to realize provision. Not if I want to realize prosperity. Not if I want to realize freedom and expansion. He's inviting us to get to know him intimately. And through that knowing, change happens in our life. John chapter 5 is a story of um, Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda and there's a lame man there. (laughs) And it was interesting because I was looking at this and I, I had a few thoughts about it. And the thing about it is this. The man at the pool of Bethesda had a reality to him. He was lame. There's a reality. Sometimes people, when when they don't understand faith and they don't understand what comes out of people's mouth because it doesn't speak the reality, they think, well, they've got their head in the sand. It's not that you have your head in the sand. The problem with it is I'm not speaking something which is not God's design. I'm speaking from what I know. And my circumstances and my situations may not be there yet. But from what I know, I'm putting into that environment what I do know. And it's bringing about change and transformation. 
He's lame. That's his reality. I don't think that he ended up at the pool because he was lame. I think he ended up at the pool because he was a victim of circumstance. There is a big difference. The thing is, when you're lame, you can still go and have life. You can still go and do some other stuff. You're not incapacitated. No, you don't have the same mobility that other people do, but you can still go out and live life. The problem with it is, when the challenge and the reality begins to define your mindset, it becomes something that I know. What ends up happening is it starts to define my identity. And suddenly I start to change because my reality has become something and I become bound by my sense of knowing. I know something which is outside of God's truth. My sense of knowing is defined by that. And as a result of that, the way that I view life and everything is, you know what? I'm so helpless. I'm a lame person. The mindset is what put him at the pool. The mindset of like, I'm helpless. I can't be productive. I can't be a meaningful part of society. Look at me, everybody. Feel sorry for me because my life is so drastic and my life is so terrible. Don't tell me about other stuff and ask me why I'm not doing certain things. Don't you understand? I play the blame game. I'm a cripple. That's why I don't have to engage in things. That's why I don't have to do stuff. Because you know what? I've got a good excuse. My reality has defined my identity. Can't you see it? The reason that the pool is a dangerous place is because at the pool, everybody who is a victim of circumstance gathers. And you know what they say? Birds of a feather flock together. And you, there's people who, who have allowed who they are to be defined by the reality that they're facing and are in that space. The thing that they love most when, when everybody else recognizes how hard their life is and what they, what they begin to do is stroke stroke a mindset, stroke a sense of knowing that is keeping them in bondage. It's interesting because when Jesus walks into that space, Jesus goes to him and in some ways Jesus sounds a little bit cold because he doesn't sit down and say, like, tell me about your life story and things look so hard and things look so tough for you and things must have been really traumatic and I'm sure you Jesus doesn't go anywhere near there. You know what he does? Jesus walks up to him and he says, you want to be made healed? You want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? Why? I don't believe he was talking to his physical situation. He was talking to his mindset, which was influenced by his, spiritual, by his natural situation. And he was saying, do you want to walk out of that prison and do you want to be free or don't you? You make a choice. Yes, physical healing will come with that. But the fact of the matter is, do you want to live in that situation or do you want to know freedom? When you know freedom, it begins to shift and change us. The reason that I believe that is this. That wasn't the end of the story. Later on in the story, Jesus ran, runs into him into the temple, at the temple. And Jesus says something very interesting to him. Jesus says to him, I'll tell you what. I'm glad that you were healed. Not only were you healed, you were made whole. But what he says is, I just want to give you a little word of advice. And he says, don't go and sin anymore, because if you do, something even worse will come upon you. 
That hasn't got to do with anything physical. It has to do with your mindset, with what you know. What, he, what Jesus was saying to him, this is what I believe, was sitting saying to him, make sure that what you do in stepping forward with your life is that you establish your life on the plan. Find out what the truth is. Find out what his thoughts are. Because when you move into that space and when you begin to uh, define your future according to the plan, what will end up happening is you'll continue to walk into a prosperous future. But if you decide to step outside of the plan again and you want to go your own way, you're going to end up in trouble. So I had a situation a little while ago. Somebody came into my office and they were chatting to me because they had been through some, some physical challenges. And they thought the physical challenges were really, really bad. Like they thought they were going to die. And so they went off to the doctor and the doctor met with them and did a whole bunch of tests. And they said, no, you're not dying. It's fine. It's nothing severe. It's like you're going to have to manage it, but it's, you'll, you'll be okay. And so the person came into my office, and the challenge was this. It wasn't the reality, and it wasn't the, the physical challenge that they had, which was the problem. What ended up happening was, because they had lived with that for so long, it had began to define who they were. And so what they did is they sat there, but what they were really looking for me to do is to say, oh, I feel so bad for you, and I feel so sorry for you, and things must have been terrible, and da-da-da-da-da. And the thing is, I felt a check not to do that. I'm not unloving. I promise you, I really am not. And I listened to the person, and I wasn't ugly. But there was this thing that built up on the inside of me that was like, stop tolerating it and put up a fight. Stop just living in your reality. They've already told you you're not going to die. So get up and fight. Go and get together with him and find out the plan. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, pity you and poor you and you shouldn't do that. And you know what? Just go out and tell everybody how much I loved you without telling you that you can overcome this. But you've got to get the plan. Stop just acquiescing and rolling over to the reality that it's like, oh, this is what my life is. Of course you've got realities. Everybody in life has got realities. Do you want to fight or do you want to roll over and be a victim? Well, they wanted to be a victim. And so they decided after they left, no, I'll tell you, but listen to me, because this was the price that came at. A complete lifestyle shift, compromised um, engagement at work, cost of ministry, and so the cost went on. Why? Because I allowed something which was in my reality to come into a space which should have been defined by the plan and his thoughts. And when I didn't nip it in the bud and I allow it to take root and give definition to who I am, what ended up happening is I fell over. And it came at a cost with everything else. You know what's so wonderful about God? In God's economy, there is no concept of lack. There's no thought of lack in God's mind. God doesn't think that way. Because he's completely self-sufficient, when God wants to do something, he knows everything that he has, that, that he needs in order to fulfill that, is within him. And so he has no concept of lack. The funny thing about it is, 
The invitation that he extends to us is to adopt the same disposition. And as we grow with him, what he's inviting us into is a sense of knowing that he is my everything. When he becomes the source of my life, he becomes the provider for the plan. Matthew 6 verse 33. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. What it's saying is, seek first the domain of the king. Set as the precedent, the priority, and the source of my life, the king. And when I go to the king and I find his plan and I find his thoughts, I can go to sage two. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is positioning me in the plan. It's positioning me in his thoughts. That's what it does. What it is, is it's gaining a sense of knowing on the inside of who I am, which is defined by who he is as the source of everything that I need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you do that, all of these things will be added unto you. When you find yourself as him as the source and you get yourself established in knowing the plan and who he is, all of a sudden, the windows of heaven are opened. And what ends up happening is full provision comes to that space. God's invitation Wait, let me just say this a different way. This is my last thing, and then I really am finished. So I, I met with Bill this week, Mahoney, and we were chatting about something, and I, it, it, there was something that has bothered me so much, um, and this is what it is. We have to be careful, like the pastors and myself, working at the church, because the problem with it is, we live in this world all the time, so it can be some, so insular that you cocooned in, and you, you're removed from the real world. And so I'm very thankful for the fact that my kids play a lot of sport and stuff. Like Vivian's got tournaments for the next three weeks. Poor old Sarah, she, she should be at church, <laughs> but she's off at tournaments. That's not the point. The point is, I'm happy that they, play, that they play sport because I'll tell you what, in playing sport, you know what happens? I get to go and watch their sport. So I watch their football and I watch their lacrosse. And when I'm at those games, I get to mix with all the parents there. And you know what? None of them come to our church. <laughs> and it's so nice. Actually, a big chunk of them don't go to church. But now this is what's interesting. This is what is hard for me. And I think it's particularly pronounced as a pastor because I think that that's just very much my heart, is how do you touch the world for God? And it's interesting because being out there and engaging with those people, and they're such nice people. They're really nice people. You would love them, Rafa. Yeah, <laughs> but the problem with it is, I don't know how to minister to them. There's no need. There's no appetite. And it feels really odd when you go to somebody who doesn't have a need, who doesn't have an appetite, and you suddenly just want to like beat on their door about God, and they're like, you can get away from me, he's that pastor guy. You can do it, but it hasn't got any result. And so I, I began to, to sit and think, and it's something that, that's very, it gives a lot of dis-ease to me. I think one of the ways it happens is through prayer. And the reason I say that is it's an easy in with people. 
When they have a need, what ends up happening is if I can go into that space and say, would you mind if I prayed with you? I open the door to spiritual influence. And when I open the door to spiritual influence and something happens, all of a sudden, how did that happen? Oh, I've got some interest. But if I don't have the interest, it's really hard. Many people don't even recognize the need or have a desire for God. Their lives are fine. I know we're shocked. It's like, surely not. I'm not saying they don't have challenges. But it's amazing to me how many people are able to live a comfortable lifestyle with very little recognition or appreciation for the need of God. So it makes it really interesting to sit and say, well, how do you touch your world? I'll tell you why I think need is important. I was going to talk about this earlier, but I didn't. The reason need is important is because anytime, as you go through life, you encounter different situations and circumstances. That's life. It adds variety. It's a good thing. But a circumstance and a situation turns into a challenge when it places a demand on me that I'm not able to fulfill. So, for example, when I end up with, um, you know, suddenly I get... Uh, emphysema. It's like, I can't fix that. It places a demand on me that I can't fix. So in that space, I can go to people who can help me in the natural, or what I can do is, I can sit and recognize my need, and I can sit and say, fine, I want to go and I want to get together with the king and the source. I want to find the plan, and I want to find his thoughts, because when I get into that space, it opens up the door for provision to come into that space, for prosperity to flourish, and for me to walk out healed. Challenges in our life are interesting, because it comes with need that I can't fulfill. We need to have a world full of more needy people. The only reason I say that is because it's a doorway for people, for us to be able to touch people's lives and sit and say, you know what? I can't fix that, but I'll tell you what, I know somebody who can. Can I just pray for that? And leave it up to God. Just leave it up to God. Have an adventure this week. Discover something new in him. The wonderful news is, you know what? He's got a plan for your life. He's thought about your life before you even got there. He knows what tomorrow's all about and you haven't even stepped into it. He's got it all sorted out. Every part of what you're looking for and every part of what you need in order to fulfill his plan and purpose for your life, he already has got it sorted out. And what he's saying is, come to me. Come and spend time with me, because when you spend time with me, you're going to discover some stuff, new things, exciting things, things that are going to make your life expansive, and it's going to introduce you to an adventure with me. Because anytime you, you meet my resources, anytime you meet prosperity, it just overwhelms you with who I am and empowers you to walk forward into a future knowing that I'm equipped to be able to handle it. I think one of the biggest challenges in America today is that there is a reality that's intentionally trying to fill people with fear and anxiety. Don't buy it! It's going to come knocking. Every time you turn on the news, there's going to be a knock at the door. Anytime you watch stuff on TikTok, there's going to be a knock at the door. Somebody's going to tell you something. Watch the invitations. Remember imagination. Imagination, the power to define myself by the image that I feed. Only allow his image to come into that space. 
it'll change you and transform you. Rafa, come and pray for us. Because you're a man of power. Okay. Can you guys hear me? All right. Are you guys ready? Let's all stand together real quick. And this is what we're going to do. Okay. Are you guys ready? What we're going to do is we're actually going to quiet that place that's full of fear right now. That place that controls all your anxiety and any place that's there. What you're going to do is you're not going to analyze anything. You're not going to critique anything. You're not going to figure out if something's right, if something's wrong, if something good, if something bad. You're just going to quiet that part of you down. And you're just going to drop into your heart, into your spirit that's always on. And we're just going to take a second. And when it feels awkward, that's how you know you're in the spirit. And I'm just going to pray over you. Father God, we just thank you that right now we're making room not for the world, but for you. And we give you permission to show us what you want us to see. We give you access to our imagination right now. And right now, you're just going to ask, Father God, give me just one picture from your unlimited realm called heaven. What is one image you want me to have right now? And the first good image you get is what he wants you to think about. Awesome. Father God, I just thank you that right now people are connecting with you spirit to spirit, imagination to your heart. And we thank you, God, for the picture that you're rewriting in their lives right now. I thank you, God, as they go through their week, they're empowered by what you're showing them right now. I thank you that this is just a conversation starter to a bigger conversation that you want to have during the week. So we give you permission to give us pictures all day and all night. In Jesus' name. Amen.